It's time to face your fears. Here comes the dread, everybody. Welcome to Video Gameography, the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises in the industry, one game at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And today we're joined by Jessica Howard, formerly of Uprox and Uppercut Gaming, uh, currently technically unemployed. Is that correct? <laughs> technically, yeah. Technically, I'm in like the middle of a weird three-day period, so. <laughs> but you, uh, you will be of GameSpot pretty soon, right? Yes. Yeah. I start GameSpot on Tuesday and I'm going to be working as an editor over there. Oh, cool. Just general everything editor? Just general every. That's, you know, I, I asked the same question when I was interviewing and uh, it really is just a jack of all trades uh, kind of role. So, yes. <laughs> well, congrats on that and good luck with that. You're here you. today just to talk about Metroid Dread, a game we all know and love, presumably. I guess I don't want to presume. Do you love it or do you hate it? Because that'd be fun if you just come on the show and talk about how much you hate this game. I love to hate it. No, I I love it. Um, it's definitely um, it was a different experience for me. It's it's definitely uh, a little trying at times, but I love it. Well, welcome. Thanks for being on the show. This is a definitely a weird one because traditionally this show is all about looking at the history and looking about games across time, which is a fun way to dive into a series. But we've reached the point in the series where we've caught up to modern day. And so uh, historically, there's not a ton of context for, I guess, how this game is performing. But it's going to be a fun timestamp to just explore what's cool about Dread in 2021. So we always start by talking about what we thought of the game when we first played it, which wasn't really that long ago. I reviewed it for Game Informer. I gave it a nine. I really loved it. My thoughts are obviously out there. People can check them out if they want to. One of my it's it's so hard to rank because I feel like the Metroid series is full of amazing titles. So I don't know exactly where Dread ranks for me, but I think it's up there, pretty up there, probably with like Super Metroid and Fusion in my book. But what do you guys think? What was your impression of Dread when you first played it a couple of weeks ago? Well, you know, back in the uh, the old times of October 2021, I was but a wee lad playing Metroid Dread. I, I too loved it. Um, and like you, it's going to take a while to for it to sink in before you can really solidify uh, my ranking. But I think I'm kind of in line with you, Ben, of like it, Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion is where it kind of bumps up against. Uh, along with Prime, those are kind of the four upper echelons. The Holy Trinity. Yeah, exactly. The Fantastic Four, if you will. Yeah, I think you know, when you're talking about four things, you go straight for the Trinity, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the Triforce is four pieces, as we know. <laughs> The yeah. Mount Rushmore Trinity. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a blast with this game. It was uh it was nice to kind of uh kind of get back to business, so to speak, with the Metroid series. I know we had Samus Returns a few years earlier, which I also really enjoyed, but that was still a remake of a game I had already played. Um, so it was really nice to play a brand new Metroid game, especially in, a, in an era where we get so many Metroidvania style games and as good as a lot of those are, there's something extra special about just playing a straight up Metroid game. Uh, and it was nice to feel that again. Yeah. Cool. Jessica, I'd love to know your impressions of dread, but also just what is your expertise with the series? I'm coming here with the the rookie perspective. <laughs> uh, Metroid Dread was the first Metroid game I ever played. And I think for the longest time, it's. 
I don't know. I was kind of scared to play the series because I had heard that it was notoriously difficult. I've always kind of shied away from from Metroidvania style games because I was just a little bit intimidated by them. But it's it's interesting, though, because aesthetically and then just the whole the the I don't know, the the vibe, the sci fi vibe right of the series is so up my alley. Like Alien is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, I don't know. I just I was always like very drawn to it, but very scared of it at the same time. Uh, but something about Metro Dread, I was like, you know what? This is it. Like, this is going to be the one that I play. And then if I like this one, I'm going to work my way back through the series. And I really, really liked it. And I intend to work my way back through the series now. So kind of a, an interesting perspective for a retrospective podcast. Oh, I love it. I love having the fresh take on a newcomer to the series. Also, it's interesting that you were you were pushed away by the difficulty of of the games, but the first one you play is possibly the hardest game in the series. <laughs> like this is definitely up there in terms of difficulty. Yeah, that's kind of what I heard too. As I started playing this one, and I'm like, man, like I was, I don't know, I there there are some points where I struggled. There were other times when I felt like, oh no, I'm like so good at this game. Um, but I I later talked to people who had played like all the series, and like even my husband, my husband's played through probably six of them or so. And and he was just like, yeah, you really picked kind of a, a rough one to jump into, but kudos to you, I guess. Hey, baptism of fire. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, Although that's probably not the right way to put it because there, there's some great games ahead of you if you continue on with the series. Well, like we do every episode, I think we should all dive into the game, cast your minds back to the halcyon days of 2021. I, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't think there's yeah. any way we can, we can bother doing this. Uh, everybody knows what's happening right now. But I think now is a great opportunity to actually just real quick read some reviews. I've been threatening to read reviews of the show. So right here early on, let's just kick it off with some reviews. These are on Apple Podcast. Just a quick reminder to go rate and review our show. This one says, uh, Ben and Marcus are awesome hosts, and I love the energy of the show. Who knew a show hosted by two comedians would be fun to listen to? We're comedians, Marcus. Yeah, are we legally comedians? Are we legally allowed to say that? Do we have to get cards or something like certify that? Or yeah, do we need to register with I don't know National Lampoon or something? <laughs> That's where you go. Yes. Uh, wow. Thank you. We haven't even told a single joke ever. Yeah, no, <laughs> not technically. No, we just the stupid things that fall out of our mouths are occasionally <laughs> funny. Uh, another review, a very enjoyable podcast with nuanced information and genuinely fun. I didn't, I didn't try to pick out the ones that are calling us funny. <laughs> I just realized this is a weird coincidence. But yeah, it says genuinely funny hosts and guests. So Jess, there you go. Oh, that's a, that's a lot to live up to. You know, already now we have multiple people saying you two are comedians and now there's pressure on me and I don't know. Tell us a joke. Oh God, really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you don't have to. But. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard the lines at uh, the National Lampoon Comedian Office are terrible. That's that's oh. my joke. Ooh. <laughs> well, we're the suckers then, I guess, who have to stand in line. Yeah, that that review is from SRG one one ten. Feel free to jump on Apple Podcast, rate, review us. Maybe we'll read one of your reviews later on in the show. All right, on with the show. We we have some things to talk about. Metroid Dread. Even though the game is pretty new, it has a very long and storied development history, which 
people who are listening to this may already know it's pretty pretty commonplace at this point but i still think it's interesting to go through game just released but way 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 back when the game started development somewhere in the mid 2000s we actually game informer actually broke the news that metroid dread was being worked on from nintendo in an issue of game informer back in june of 2005 yeah, is that before your time, Ben? That oh, no. is right before my time. Yeah, so I was I was not around for that breaking of the news. I wish I could take credit for that. Nice. Do you uh, do you have like who wrote that? Like back then, would that have been Reiner or Andy? I'm gonna guess maybe it was Reiner. I'm gonna guess it was Kato though. He was the guy okay. who handled a lot of the news in the magazine. Okay. So if I had to guess, I would get, I would guess that it was him. I, what I'm guessing too is there were press releases. Maybe we got an early copy of a press release that had that game listed on there for E3 that year, and we just slapped it into the magazine. Mm. And then later copies of that press release didn't include it because there's some some hubbub that some Nintendo folks in the U.S. side thought they were even going to debut that game at E3, and then it didn't show up, and they were they were surprised. Like Nintendo of America people were kind of surprised it didn't show up. Hmm. Which that's kind of wild. From all accounts, it seems that this game, Dread, the original development team, it was the same team who did the Fusion game, which would make sense. They had just released Fusion a few years earlier, so hey, let's roll off and do another game. Yeah, me me made the best Game Boy Advance game ever made. Let's (laughs) give them another shot. Yeah, and it should have. I would have loved to have seen that version of Dread. Yeah, Sakamoto has been out there this year talking about how he didn't think the tech was up to snuff. The Nintendo DS wasn't quite up to the tech they wanted for this new Metroid game, which is wild because the DS got a prime game basically in Hunters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you think that would be the harder like style to go for on a handheld. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like what exactly? I'm not trying to knock anything against Dread. I think it's a great game. Good looking game. But what is it about Dread that is so tech heavy? Obviously, the game would have looked not as good. But is there anything else they couldn't have done on the DS? The only thing I can really think of is just, but but even so, I don't think it's really a great excuse. Is, is how ambitious they were with the amount of tools in that game and and like the controls. But I don't know. That's even still, that's not. I don't know. Yeah, because I don't. Was it ever even imagined as a two point five D game back then? I imagine it would have still maybe done the kind of sixteen bit style, right, of fusion. But I guess not if they were so like this machine is garbage. We it's not worthy <laughs> of, of dread and my vision. That's a good question. I don't know. They might have been trying to do some kind of like 2.5 D even back then. Well, let's just go through the history real quick. So a game is sort of leak announced by us. And then. Yay. Yeah. Woo-hoo. And then it gets canceled <laughs> internally. It's never actually fully acknowledged that it was in existence and then sometime after that according to the rumors they started working on a second version of it that which was also subsequently canceled seems like there was a lot of people working on different things so for whatever reason dread could not get the steam it needed the mercury steam it needed to, to actually get done until really after the release of samus returns in yeah. 2018 yeah, or 2017, was it? Sorry, in 2017, you're right. Yeah. So it seems uh, that Nintendo worked with Mercury Stream. They're like, ooh, nice job. This is good. And then Sakamoto's like, now's my chance to come back. I can <laughs> revive this old idea I had of of dread 
which his idea apparently was, hey, let's have this thing stalking Samus, which isn't even for Metroid, a new idea. They had the SAX in Fusion stalking Samus. They've done that concept a couple of times. Did Sakamoto, did he always have the idea of multiple things stalking Samus? Or is it always just going to be like one enemy like the SAX? Because I could see maybe like if it's going to be like seven or six enemies like it is with Dread, maybe that's where the technical constraints would come in. Just trying to throw in so many of them. That's a good question. Mm, unclear. Yeah, it seems like yeah. the natural progression. Like, hey, this worked in this game that everyone loved. Let's up the ante and let's throw more things that can chase you and kill you instantly. <laughs> that seems like the formula, right? Did you guys like since we're we're going to be all over the place this episode? I think anyway, but did you guys like the Emmys since we were talking about them? They were so stressful, but I actually loved them. I, I do think that was a really cool element. And, and granted, I don't have the experience of the other games to compare it. So I can't be like, oh, no, I wish they wouldn't have done that because these games are better. But in my opinion, I think it really, really worked. Um, you know, I'm not huge on horror games because I don't like the feeling of being chased. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. It just it was the right amount of creepy and the right amount of. I don't know, they were pretty intuitive. And, and that was it was fun. I really did like them a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, if you had played other games with, like Persistent Enemies and how they maybe compare like Mr. X in Resident Evil 2. Or... Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say is like the biggest thing I can think of is I recently played like the Resident Evil 2 remake. Right. And and I played Resident Evil 2 when it came out forever ago also. But Mr. X is, is one of the biggest things. And like that game is super fun. I, I really do like it. But oh, yeah, he gets me. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the worst. <laughs> yeah. And by I, worst, we mean best, right? Oh, yeah. It's, I want to give him a hug every time he <laughs> randomly bumps into me when I open a door. I would love to see the Emmys wearing the Mr. X hat, though. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, oh, the little, like, fedora. Oh, yeah, like, they do stand up sometimes when they come at you. They had, like, a little trench coat on, and then as they got closer, <laughs> they gradually revealed the trench coat. Like, Uh-oh. <laughs> What's under there? Uh-oh, death, it turns out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought the Emmys uh, were cool, and it seems like they've taken off um, just within the fandom. Like, I've been noticing a lot of, like, youtube memes using like the sound effects it seems like they've left their mark where everyone seems permanently scarred by the sounds that they make when you enter their little areas little beepy sounds like it's it seems like people have like a pavlovian response to that now or you just immediately start sweating when you hear that but i think the i, I think the encounters around them are cool i like that the later ones kind of become basically puzzles um and that you don't just beat all of them the same exact way uh and that even them uh individually are different from each other like there's like one that runs really fast and then there's the one that can like see you through walls and stuff mm-hmm. uh yeah they it don't make them really memorable and they come in nice colors too glad that you said that because i did love that because the first couple i i did i was like oh man if they kind of just repeat like this that's not going to be super exciting but then they they you know change it up on you and the margin of error becomes so slim especially when you have to fire that you know final cannon and kind of end them there are some where it's like you there's one location where you can be standing where you have the time to do it and you have to like circle and get to that area stand there perfectly do it and it's oh, it makes yeah. it very satisfying when you do it though yeah i think i know which one you're talking about i remember like freaking out <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like there's no good place to stand. What did you yeah. want from me here? Was it the yellow one? Yes, it was. I believe it was the yellow one. It's like the fourth one or fifth one or something like that. And that was actually the hardest one for me to take down, just because he 
there was no space to stand, like you're saying. And I felt like you had to keep jumping around and keep the heat on, keep the pressure on because they would, you know, that shell would slowly cool when you stopped firing on them. So you, so you only had a few seconds to like reposition yourself and then you're firing mm-hmm. on them again. That was for me frustrating in the middle of a review. I'm like, I need to get this done so I can <laughs> review this before deadline. <laughs> Just let's let's jump back real quick. I don't want to get too far ahead of talking about the game. Talking about development again in 2007, Metroid Prime 3 released, which we've talked about in our previous episode. One of the interesting things is in that game, there was a scannable log on a space pirate ship that talked about something called Dread. And the the message just said, experiment status report update, Metroid Project Dread, quotes in quotes is nearing final stages of completion. And then Hmm. there's another terminal next to that that says experiment results unsuccessful. All attempts at using Metroids as weapon power sources have failed. Hmm. That's weird, right? And people have talked to Retro Studios and Retro has said like, oh, it was intended as a joke. Or some people on staff have said like, oh, that's a weird just coincidence. They didn't mean it as a reference to Metroid Dread which I find it a little bit hard to believe. I, I mean, maybe it was a joke, but it is, it'd be a weird coincidence, right? Yeah. I was going to say, was that their destiny awaits? Remember that? How destiny was teased in Halo three ODST with that poster. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, except in the case of retro was not working on Metroid dread at any point. So it's mm. like, they're trying to tease this project that, Presumably they could have known. I I wouldn't be surprised if they knew Metroid Dread was going on. Like everybody knew Metroid Dread is the thing. Maybe that was like a Nintendo call, like from a pie. Like, hey, you know, it'd be cool if you guys did, because we're we're totally going to release this in a timely manner. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even if they had like friends on the other team or something like that, and there was a communication between the two of them, because that seems like that's it'd be a very uh, strange coincidence. Too much of a coincidence, I think. The weird thing is, in the Japanese version of Metroid Prime 3, that reference to Dread is taken out, which came out later. So the Japanese version of Dread, of Metroid Prime 3 came out later, and they removed that comment, which leads me to think that Nintendo of Japan maybe didn't know about it, or, I don't know, they had missed their radar when it first released. Yeah. When they were doing, you know... Once over on the editing pass, they they missed it, the connection, and then it came out and people were like, oh, this is a reference to that game. And they're like, uh, no, no, it's not. What? How much later did it come out? Because I could also see it being it was a purposeful tease. And then by the time the Japanese release came out, something like they realized, like, oh, this game is not happening. <laughs> we should probably get rid of this. Well, Metroid Prime 3 released in the U.S. In, on August 27th and then in Japan on March 6th the following year. That's a lot. That's a lot of time to yeah. realize your project has gone sideways, and we shouldn't tease it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's another theory. I could see it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe dread went south in the middle of that. But the weird thing is, like, why wouldn't they just admit that it was an actual mod? Why would retro be like, oh, it was a joke, or it was just a weird coincidence? Could be maybe a like a point of. I don't know. Not not really shame. Shame's the wrong word, but maybe because they didn't include it and then it was taken out six months later. Maybe they're just like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't talk about it. That's the only thing I can think of, but 
All right, well, that seems to be sort of the last reference to Dread for a while, because as we've again talked about in previous episodes in 2010, Other M released and sort of destroys the Metroid name, just <laughs> just rubs salt in everybody's wounds. Uh, are you going to if you go through the whole Metroid series, you're going to play Other M, Jess? I've heard to not. So probably not, um, because, you know, it's already a lengthy backlog anyway. And if I can knock one thing off that everybody tells me to just avoid. Yeah, I mean, the best way to experience it, for my advice, is just to watch all the cutscenes cut together on YouTube. It's it's such a weird recommendation, though, Marcus, because it's like distill <laughs> the worst part of this game and watch just that. Exactly. There you go. Because that's what I've heard is that I've heard that um, Samus as a character is just kind of done dirty in that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I really I really loved her in Dread. So I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah, if he, She does thumbs down a lot. It's an endearing character trait of her, apparently. It'd be very interesting as a newcomer and somebody who just experienced Dread to just dive in and watch that back. You know what? I'm coming around on it, Marcus. You should go watch before <laughs> you play any other Metroid game. Just watch the cinematics for Met- Other M and be yeah. like, this is Samus. That would be fascinating. You should Immediately do that. ruin your good impression. I just picture like the Arrested Development like her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Other M comes out 2010. Salts the Earth, as we've said, and it's a good six years. The Metroid franchise just lays fallow for six years. And then Kinsuke Tanabe, who was the producer on all the Prime games, he decides that he wants to make a multiplayer game on the DS, the Nintendo DS, which this project eventually moved on to the 3DS and became Metroid Prime Federation Force, which was that really chibi looking shooter, multiplayer shooter game. If you guys remember that, is designed by next level games who next level games i would argue is actually a pretty solid developer they did luigi's mansion two and three and that punch out game on the wii Wii one yeah everybody loved yeah if you were saying hey who do you want to work on the next metroid game I, i wouldn't say no to next level games like i think they could do something interesting with metroid and they did do something interesting with metroid it just wasn't interesting in the right way unfortunately Although some people argue that Federation Force is a good game. Did you guys ever play it? I did not. I remember watching that E3 and pretty much having the same reaction as the rest of the world of like, why nobody asked for this? Why Why did you do us like this? You got us excited. We saw Metroid on screen like, oh, they're, it's back, baby. And it's like, wait, what? Like, what is this? Like, and then being convinced, like, OK, they wouldn't announce this unless they're announcing a real game right after huh. this. Right. And then, yeah, the one for the Wii U's got to be coming up, right? They got to be having a real Metroid now. Yeah, I remember thinking the exact same thing. And it was just, nope, just that's it. That's yep. the game, everybody. Poor next level games, too. Like you said, they are a solid value. I like all the games that you just listed, and they mm-hmm. kind of got saddled with having to like release the Metroid game that came out at the worst possible time with like hunger fan hunger was at its like its highest point and then this is what you're going to give them like someone there had to know like this this probably is going to go over great but we have to keep a you know put a smile on her face and just roll with it right i i'm surprised i don't know what nintendo was thinking they were probably thinking like let's just do something different with the franchise because I don't know. Maybe they thought they were testing the water with this weirdo thing. Like how much do people actually want Metroid? Let's let's give them something different and see if they like it. Yeah, because the last time we gave them something different, that went great. It went great. Let's just keep (laughs) experimenting. Let's see. 
Uh, do you do you want a salmon flavored bacon? That's an experiment. Let's try it. Yes, I would actually be down for that. If they announced that at E3, I'd be pretty happy. Nintendo's salmon flavored bacon. Yeah. The new Cooking Mama DLC. <laughs> what if Cooking Mama was in the new Metroid? What if she replaced mm. Samus? I like to think that she's like the mom of all the Emmys, too. It's just there you go. It's it's like her her little Emmy nursery oh, part time. That's cooking mother brain. Is that a. Oh, there you go. There's something there. I think they could do an interesting combo there. Yeah. Get, get next level games on it. But Nintendo, when you announce that game, you have to announce a real Metroid, another <laughs> real Metroid project. A Prime 4 release date would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Show us Prime 4 the same day you do that. That'd be great. Uh, I don't know. I, I, Metroid Prime Federation Force isn't worth spending a ton of time on. Uh, it did get a bad rap because it was this Metroid game nobody wanted. And so I think people were ready to hate on it. It was a sort of serviceable shooter on a handheld that had multiplayer in it. So there were a lot of neat things it was doing, but it also just wasn't a great, it wasn't really an exploration based platformer game. Like most Metroid games, it was this weird shooter and Samus wasn't even a main character. Like, I don't think you could play as her. Did you like it then? Did you play it? I thought it was fine. I did not review it. And I, so I did never went and bothered to finish it, but uh, it's one of those things where I don't think I can recommend like, Hey, if you like Metroid, you should go check it out. Only check it out if it's the one Metroid game you've never played or something. You want to be a completionist. Like, it's a weird curio, but mm. it's not terrible. It's actually better than other M <laughs> in a weird way. You know, it's like, it's, it's got that going for it. <laughs> You're to hear folk first, folks. <laughs> so yeah, Nintendo gave us that thing in 2016. And we're all like, nah, Nintendo, what are you doing? And then it seemed like, well, okay, are we just not getting more Metroid then? And then, as we've said in 2017, they come good. They come good. They they come clean with the like a good project, Samus Returns, which is is I would say three fourths of a step in the right direction. Like it's not a new game; it's a remake. So people were like, eh, "It's a remake. I don't really want that." It's on this 3DS handheld system that nobody really wants to play anymore because the Switch just came out. So it was yeah. it had enough against it. That was a bump that made it kind of a bummer, but at the same time, it was a new ish Metroid game and it was a really good game. I reviewed that game. I gave it a really high score. I think it's worth playing. Even if you played the original, you know, Metroid two back in the day on Game Boy, it's different enough. You should play it because you play that game and probably know how poorly it's aged. Like you, it, the idea of playing a polished version of that is, I think, attractive in that game. Yeah. It's like the other thing, too, is that AM2R happened too before Samus returns and kind of stole his thunder a bit. Yeah, we and we talked all about that in our Metroid 2 episode, so we don't need to like repeat everything. But but what I'll say again, and I won't stop saying is that it's a good game, everybody. It is. I was always annoyed when people would be like, why don't we get a new Met- real Metroid? It's like there is one. <laughs> it's not old at all. It's, and it's on a device that most people own. It's not like the Wii U or anything. Yeah, that's a part. You should check that out, Jess. Do you still have a 3DS? I do. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, especially if you like Dread. Yeah, same style. Like I should do it. Dread pretty okay. much just builds upon Samus Returns. Yeah, like, it has, I guess, some difficulty to it, but it's not as hard as Dread. They really double down on the difficulty. I think with with Dread for whatever reason. Do you think that is is Dread? Would you say the most difficult one? 
Yeah, we talked about it in our Metroid Prime 2 episode where that one is also a pretty hard game. It'd be interesting to play them back to back, but it's hard in a different way. I think Dread is hard in a fair way where you know the systems, you know the mechanics, and once you learn a boss's pattern, it's really just doing it. And and in that sense, I feel like it's really not hard after you've learned what a boss is doing. Where Prime 2 is is hard in a way that 3d games in the mid two thousands could just be hard. Cause they felt a little cheap. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest 2d entry, you know, I know people okay. might say original Metroid too, but that's difficult because of age, not because of design necessarily. Right. I'm just over here like, dang, I should have jumped in on the chibi one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, not to keep harping on Federation force, but people did not like that design which I kind of get that design was intentional because it was a 3ds. It was a handheld system. They wanted to make the characters recognizable on a smaller screen. So there's a lot of rationale for designing it that way. I'm, I'm game for a game like that, a Metroid game like that. I'm game for it again, as long as it's not the main Metroid game of that year. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't even remember. Like, I, I remember when it came out, but I can't remember what the characters look like. So I'm literally just picturing like Super Smash Brothers, like Kirby, once he has the, the Samus suit. Like, that's what I'm picturing right now. You're not that far off. Yeah. They kind of look like Power Rangers-esque robots. Like, it was like they, okay. all had, they were all the same robot with different bright colors, like a blue one, a red one. But other than that, they're they were generic robots that had helmets that kind of looked like Samus's and you could unlock new skins for your characters. And there was a Samus skin, I believe. So you could actually look like Samus, even though you were not actually playing. As her. <laughs> so you could play it with tears in your eyes, pretending this is a real Metroid game. <laughs> I really am Samus mommy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that brings us up to modern day, basically. So after Samus returns, Nintendo turned to Mercury steam and they were like, hey, you guys want to keep this good thing rolling? Apparently, they were pretty happy with Samus Returns. And Nakamoto, the publisher, Mr. Metroid, decided he wanted to resurrect this dread idea. He was like, all right, the switch is out. We can do what I wanted to do on the switch. Bring back this concept of some entity following Samus throughout the game. But we can actually do it better. And he said in interviews that he thinks he didn't have like the full story fleshed out. But he thinks that the direction that Mercury Steam and Nintendo took Dread is actually better than his original concept. It's worth noting that Mercury Steam, even before they got their hands on Metroid, they had kind of cut their teeth on the Castlevania series because they were responsible for the Lords of Shadow series of which uh, and then the, they did the first two. The first one is pretty beloved. And then in between one and two, they had the 3DS game that was just a traditional 2d or 2.5d castlevania so they kind of got their you know they got experience doing that style of game and i think it's still the only studio that has worked on metroid and castlevania yeah well that that brings us up to present there's uh only so much we know about the dev history of dread a lot of this stuff tends to come out years after the fact so it'd be interesting Mm -hmm. to revisit this in five years and see like well what are the dirty little secrets we learned about dread nintendo really needs to do some kind of Ask a Wada style thing for their new games. Those are yeah. those are great. They should need do to ask Doug Bowser or something. Ask Bowser. There you go. It's perfect. You can keep doing it even after Doug Bowser leaves. Nintendo. The one little tidbit I did dig up is that the code name for Dread was 
Casadora. I don't know if I'm saying that wrong. I believe it's a Spanish word. It's a Spanish word that means huntress. Hmm. So that's kind of a cool. That's actually a pretty cool code name. On the list of code names, that's it's up there. Should we talk about um, Dread and just our experience with it and what you guys thought while playing it? We talked about the Emmys, obviously. The difficulty is something that people like to talk about when they talk about Metroid Dread. And I, I mentioned sort of what I think of the difficulty in that I, you know, once you learn how it works, it's I don't think that hard. But what do you guys think about the difficulty? I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I did Prime 2's difficulty. I know some people complained about the ME fights kind of being unfair, like the kind of split second timing you have with that. But I I think that I would rather have that to keep them scary because if they were too easy to get away from, then I'll, you know, there would be no dread, so to speak. Right. And it's kind of cool that even the game like straight up tells you in the beginning, like, hey, when you get caught, this is going to be hard. You're probably going to die. <laughs> like they really hammered at home in early, which makes me wonder if that was like a focus testing thing of like people saying like, man, this is tough. Maybe you should let people know about this or whatever. Because it's You don't really see that in games, right? That straight up tell you like that. Like, hey, you're going to you can't fight these things. And if you try, you'll probably fail. So just letting you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that uh, part of their design and it made it feel incredibly satisfying when I, the few times I did counter their thing and get out of there. Like sometimes I would almost die again because I would be too busy to be like, oh my God. It's like, oh wait, I have to run. <laughs> I need to escape now. Um, yeah, I, I would rather have a, a harder Metroid game than one that was too easy. So I was fine with it. I completely agree. I think that it was the right level of difficulty in that it made besting the Emmys or or just this boss fight or, or anything. It made it made all those more rewarding. And it never felt like it was difficult in a way that was unfair, which I know we kind of briefly mentioned earlier, because once you get the patterns down, once you understand what you're supposed to do, something that took you maybe, you know, five tries the first time you were doing it you get to the second stage and now that first part, you're just like, oh, this was so easy. How did I, you know what I mean? You're just like breezing through it. And now you're, you're stuck at the second part and figuring that out. So I think that that aspect of it is really well done. And I really do like where they set the difficulty. Um, I think my biggest complaint is I think that there's just too much going on in that game control wise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and for me, that made it difficult. And it wasn't even like, like my brain knew what I was supposed to do, right? But then it would not go to my hands because there's just so many things going on. And I was like just getting frustrated because I was like, OK, I know that I need to to do this thing. But to me, it's kind of ridiculous that in order. OK, first thing that I think of is like using the little like grappling thing. Right. Mm. Um, you have to hold four buttons and also like control the joystick. I mean, that's one of the buttons, but you're like you were using four fingers just to do that. And it's a lot. And I think something else, too, is it's also always a bit disappointing to me um, in the year of our Lord 2021 when there aren't options to, to make games easier for people who might have you know a harder time playing a game that is as strenuous and requires as much um, coordination as Metroid Dread does. Because like I was sitting there, you know, kind of and, and like, I, I don't know, I'm not like a great video, like a great gamer or whatever, but I'm not, I'm pretty solid at games, right? Like if you give me enough time with a level, I can, I can make my way through it. It's fine. Like for me to be 
frustrated with those controls and having to hold four buttons and also like a directional pad while doing something. I'm like, this is impossible for anybody with any sort of motor impairment. Like it's, it just really is. Especially with the grappling hook, as you said, is there a way that they could just have you automatically grapple a thing? Whereas like if you're near a grapple point, just hit the grapple button and you grab it. I don't think there's anything. I wouldn't feel like I lost anything, any agency because I didn't have to aim at the at the point I was grappling. It's a uh, very obvious where grappling points are, right? You know, so it's not like you have like this whole area. I mean, there's some of the but it's, it's that blue kind of, you know, mm-hmm. electric looking area. Like, I don't think that you would lose anything by hitting a button and being able to like, you know, Spider-Man swing your way across things. Right. I think that that would actually work really well. Well, Spider-Man's a good example. You hit the button, and you swings and like that's what's exciting mm-hmm. and empowering about that game. I was trying to think. You know, how does Ori do it? Because there's moments where you swing on stuff there. Don't you just hit the button and it grabs the thing? Yeah, you just hit B, it pauses for like a mm-hmm. bit, gives you time to aim, and then that's it. It's like one button press. It's like B and aim, and then that's it. <laughs> where is this? Yeah, they, they should have done something like that, I think. Yeah, like you said, Jess, like every major mo- or action feels like almost like a cheat code that you have to put in to do it sometimes. Like, why do I have to hold, like, if, like, you have plenty of buttons on this device. I don't know, you, you guys are acting like you have half the buttons to work with. <laughs> like, if some yeah. of it's holdover from, you know, they did sandwich returns and you have fewer buttons there because you have fewer shoulder buttons. So some of it was like, you got to hold the button to switch over to missiles. <sighs> a lot of weird control decisions. Like you said, Jess, I was, I was really upset that you couldn't change. I remember when I first started playing, I went straight to the set. Like, there's got to be a way to change like one or two of these, right? And there's nothing. Mm, To me, that's pretty inexcusable, honestly. (laughs) Well, any favorite moments? I mean, not to harp on the game too much. I think we obviously have our nitpicks, but it's overall a good game. Do you guys have any favorite moments? Running to crate again was cool. That first crate fight, like the little cutscene. Yeah. He's like chained up and stuff. Because one, you're like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> also, like the fact that he clearly like recognized Samus and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, like you again. It reminded me a little bit uh, of Ben of the opening scene in Arkham Asylum. When Batman's going to the asylum, the villains are like reacting to him, like, oh, it's like Killer Croc sees him, like, oh, I got your set, Batman. It had that kind of vibe of like, oh, these two old foes. Once again, like, oh, you're locked up and he like freaks out and breaks out again. But she doesn't even like she's not even phased by it. She's just like like when she's charging her gun, like, OK, like, you know how this is going to end if you want to do this again. But OK, let's go. Yeah. Ah, gosh, I love that. That reminds me, too, of just the shortcuts that people found. The speedrunners, how they found that if you go get the morph ball before that fight, you can quickly defeat him by, you know, bombing his little belly button there. Wait, and then what? there was an. You didn't hear about that? No. <laughs> Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah, there was a bunch of like, you know, speedrunning news. So if you go and get the bombs. Yeah. Once you have the morph ball, right? So you need the morph ball. If you have those, you can, there's a little, I don't know what you call it, like a little nodule there to the left that you could bomb. And then that'll shoot you into his belly button. And then you can blow him up inside there. You do a bunch of damage. And then there's another speedrunning shortcut that you can unlock if you get the shark shine dash. What is that called? Oh, the like teleport dash thing. Just played this a couple weeks ago and I can't remember anything. But yeah, mm. if you have that, you can dash straight into his face when you ride that little elevator thing up. You can dash straight into his face and uh, initiate one of those takedown maneuvers where you just shoot a bunch of missiles in his right up his nose. It's a pretty cool. The fact that there's been a couple of those discoveries already makes me wonder how many other cool little shortcuts there are to shave off speedrunner time. 
because I think this, the speedrunner community, they're down to like an hour 20 to beat this game already. Oh my gosh. That's so fast. Wow. I even watched like a, a video before this podcast just to refresh because it's been a while since I played it. And even that walkthrough and granted, I skipped through the bulk of it, but that was still like, a you know, quickly going through the game five hours. So it is wild that they already have it down to an hour and a half. Wow. That's another cool uh, uh, moment, too, or moments uh, like you mentioned, Ben, the uh, the takedowns of cinematic takedowns. Because there were times where, like, the first few, I was like, oh, it's just a cutscene. And then you were like, oh, I, I can, I'm supposed to do something. Like, I can still shoot this dude in the face. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to be unloading on them right now. I thought those were really cool. And, you know, there was a time that that would have just been a QTE segment. And I like how seamlessly, like, because they don't change anything. They're just like, hey, you can just still hit the button here. But right. other than that, it's just a straight up cutscene. That reminds me, too. We were talking about the difficulty earlier. And in our Metroid Fusion, podcast we actually talked about how the team who worked on that game and this was early 2000s that they looked at metroid as this old hard game and games were too hard and i definitely remember that period for you know 15 years or so where all games got easier and in a way i think that's good by and large i think that opened up gaming to more people and i don't think all games should be super hard but it felt like the pendulum swung maybe a little bit too far that way where everything was super easy. And then with, you know, the dark souls Renaissance, it feels that like there's now certain games where it's okay. If this game is super brutally hard. Yeah. And it's interesting to see the Metroid franchise and how it's, I don't know that's necessarily responding to that, but it was interesting to see Metroid fusion. Well, Metroid fusion did respond to that in that it was an easier game. And now Metroid dread is no, we're going to be hard and that's fine. And, it's it's kind of like Super Metroid. There were challenging parts of that game, and that was okay because games can be hard and be rewarding, and it's fun. That's the key, right? To make sure it's rewarding, and then right. mm-hmm. it might be nice if it controlled better. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the game, like overall, it controls fine. It's just it's got some rough spots, but yeah, yeah. Now, overall, like I know we were talking about favorite moments. I know I, I harped on the controls, but that's really my biggest complaint with the game because other than that. I really adored it. Um, I think that I really liked all of the different environments. I think the place and forgive me because I cannot remember all of the location names, mm-hmm. um, but the the one that took place mostly underwater, yeah. kind of more on like the left side of the map. Um, that place was beautiful. I really did love exploring there. And I also like the the music was fantastic. And I think for me, that game... It managed to do something kind of kind of like Alien, right? Like I mentioned, Alien was my favorite movie. And I like that movie a lot because for the bulk of it, it's just like a very quiet, intense um, movie. And it's Metro Dread is a very quiet, intense game. And I really do like, you know, Samus kind of having limited dialogue. And I like the characterization that we get of her through that and through her body language and through like just the subtle looks we see of her of, you know, through her visor and stuff. I think that I don't know. I, I really, really liked that game a lot. And I think and maybe this is just me because I, I play these games and I tend to like look at them from maybe more of like a a lens of, you know, somebody who has like like trauma and depression and stuff like that. Right. And like mm-hmm. just like different th- things, things like that. Mental health lens, maybe you could say um, for me, Samus was a character, strangely, that I felt really connected to because I felt like she was. I don't know, a very, a very good depiction of that. And she was just kind of a strangely comforting character. 
And I also think that her journey throughout the game, and this is a spoiler warning for those of you who haven't finished yet, and you should, so please, you know, skip ahead a few minutes if not. So at the end of the game, Samus turns into a Metroid. Um, and he is the last Metroid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really want to talk about this, but I I am enjoying your thoughts, so finish it. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and and to me, and especially the last conversation you have with, oh my gosh, what is, what is the name of just like the orb that you talk to? Oh, Adam? <laughs> the computer? Yeah. You talk to your faithful companion, Adam Malkovich. Yeah. You can tell I've been on Twitter too much, the orb. <laughs> your dead father figure who is now a computer, sort of. Yes. <laughs> Um, so when you talk to Adam, Adam says something along the lines of like, hey, like you can't help that this is what you are now. This really sucks. You are now a threat to the people around you. But also like there is something like you can do some pretty great things if you learn how to live with this condition. And to me, it felt like this. I'm sure not intentional, right? But like this really great metaphor for having a mental illness, right? Is mm-hmm. like having this difficulty and having this thing that you, in a sense, succumb to, but can also be like a really great strength and something that you can live with and you can manage and can be a source of power. So I don't know. It's 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 definitely me reading very like a, a lot into the game, right? And projecting, but it was something that I really took away from it, and I really loved having that kind of connection with the game. It meant a lot to me. That's a super interesting way to look at it. And not one that I initially picked up on, but I like that reading of it. I also, I am curious too of, so Samus is now a Metroid. Her DNA has been changed and she's a, a different being at this point. Yeah. I am curious how, how much has she changed? You guys think? Cause we, we talked about in previous episodes that, her body is probably kind of effed up at this point because she's sort of cybernetic and she's constantly like mm-hmm. upgrading, changing things. But now more than ever, she's just this weird mutant freak, which I, there's something about that. I kind of like that. She's going to sacrifice her own body even to get the job done. Yeah. I, cause at the end of the game and I guess we're kind of getting into basically the, the lore stuff, but like when she's like in full Metroid, like monster, like when her suit changes and stuff like a uh, quiet robe, who is at that point an ex that I guess took his body and cloned him. Basically it, the ex went inside her and it seemed like it balanced it out. We're like, Hey, you can still have your humanity, but you still got your Metroid power. So I guess she's kind of back to what she was prior to going full transformation. So I wonder if the next game that'll be kind of like a power up, right? Where like, she'll have like the ability to drain people with her arm, like she was doing. And then maybe you'll fill a meter and she'll go full on, metroid samus mode and tear people up or something well, there's yeah there's two things out of that like how dangerous is samus to other people he said she was so i guess i believe her is she like if she touches a person is she just gonna like like life force drain them like rogue or what is that i think maybe when she's in her full metroid modes that moment happened when she was still transformed like she can't control it but before that she could well and then the other weird part of that is her suit totally changes and becomes this weird, you know, crustacean-y, which some people like and some people, and it's, it's unique looking. I I think I like it overall. I still prefer the original suit, but it's interesting that her suit changes like that when she goes full Saiyan, super Saiyan, because (laughs) 
because it's it's like her the, her suit is an extension of her body. Like it's she's that connected to the suit that her suit is going to morph as her biology morphs. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting concept to me that I really want them to explore more. Like what would she look like if she transformed in zero suit? Mm. You know. Egg. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting, like, <laughs> larger, you know, I don't know, kind of the whole sci-fi concept that you see a lot in, like, cyberpunk type stuff where you do have body modifications and, you know, even questions of, like, okay, well, if you take, you know, I, I don't know, like, how much of a person can you change and they're still the same person kind of question that you see in, in certain aspects of sci-fi. Um, it is cool because you kind of do hit that a little bit with Samus, right? Like after everything that she's been through. And I feel like she, and I granted, I've only played Dread, so I'm, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I feel like she's had just like lots of different familial connections or like people who are like in a sense related to, I mean, even with like a uh, Raven beak, right mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end and just like him calling her her father. So she's just kind of had a lot of identities. And then she has like this literal identity change. And she also has all of these like body changes. So she's really just someone who's constantly in like this state of transitioning. And I don't know, it's it's a really interesting aspect of her and something that could definitely be explored more in future games. And would be a really cool thing to explore. Yeah. And uh, like you were saying before, like the uh, mental health comparison, which I love too. I had, I didn't have the same exact like read on that, but I remember listening to that or watching that scene and feeling like a genuine emotional reaction to it of like, I felt super bad for Samus and it was probably the most like emotional thing I've seen in any Metroid game up to that point and like I remember thinking about that after the fact of like wow like that whole thing when Adam saying like hey yeah you're the thing that you hate basically now and you're mm-hmm. you're a problem and I, I like felt genuinely bad for her like oh no like what is she gonna do basically and how is she gonna take that because she's she's used to being on her own at the point like Samus has always been positioned as kind of a loner but even then like the idea of like, hey, you can't even do the one thing that you were good at at this point, at least maybe not reliably. There's also that difference between self-imposed exile and and forced exile. And now she's yeah, I always got the impression she was just a loner and that's who she was. But maybe occasionally she would have interactions with people as she got a new job or had to stock up on supplies or something. But now it's like a forced exile and that's a different thing. And how is she going to survive now? Are people going to come after her now? Or probably, or, or, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Kind of what just happened? <laughs> like his word spreads. Like, hey, she's got that that Metro DNA. We should take that, right? And she's the last one, which is also their get out of jail free card for the rest of the series. Because people are like, oh, how are they going to have a Metroid games if this is the end of the Metroid story? It's like, oh, there you go. Well, and they always made those jokes too about you know it's it's named after this creature, and then since Super Metroid, <laughs> there's only been like one. There was like one Metroid in captivity, and it dies. And so since then, you know, there's even been games without Metroids even in it. But the joke is that Metroid has no Metroids. But now now she is Metroid. So it's, you know, it's now the series is actually named after or could be named after her. So they I don't know if that was like we need to fix that, if that was their main goal or if it just sort of lined up with, you know, she's had the DNA since fusion. And this is just the next logical conclusion like this is how you elevate that story and and run with it yeah i'd agree with that it also gives like all the people that much like zelda the people that look at metroid and think that samus is metroid like oh man that's the name of the character is metroid Mm -hmm. and there you go yeah (laughs) now they're valid yeah (laughs) now now she's what it is 
Yeah, Hope Breath of the Wild 2, Link gets Zelda's DNA and becomes Zelda. And then <laughs> the title will make sense forever. I mean, hey, people were, were talking about how Zelda is could be a protagonist, right? Or like they, they want to see that happen. So, you know, who knows? They should have f- did a fusion dance or something. <laughs> together. Nintendo's just about to get real literal with all of their uh, their game names. <laughs> Well, it feels like we dove headfirst into the deep end with the narrative there, but Marcus, do you want to, I don't know, is there anything else we need to recap there or just do you want to set up the story at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of dived into sort of the the climax of it. I think the only interesting things about it is that, um, like you guys mentioned before, like Quiet Robe and uh, Ravenbeak, who is the antagonist, who, you know, he's also the, this game's excuse for why you lose all your stuff because in the beginning, Samus fights him and gets beat pretty bad and takes all her powers away. And you eventually find out that he, like, cause the, the setup is that the Emmys were built by the Federation as like good robots and they got sent to ZDR to deal with the X parasite that was supposed to be extinct after fusion. And this is, this is a recurring theme with Metroid, right? Like they're like, hey, we thought, all the things that were bad were gone. They're they're still here in this planet. Let's send our things in first and then they fail. And then we call Samus. Like you think at a certain point you just start with Samus, <laughs> but, um, but hey, yeah. Why, why didn't they, was she just on a call that day? Like she was just busy doing something else, retuning up her ship or something. Yeah. Just under the, sh- under the ship, just with a big wrench <laughs> cranking away. A, a wrench that shaped like her head. except branding i will say they upped their game by at least sending robots and not their own people to get slaughtered this time and they were like hey let's make super invincible robots this can't go wrong which i don't blame them in this case like who would have thought that it even those could go sideways somehow if it takes place in space anything and everything will go wrong that's just how it goes yeah (laughs) just send samus just just start with samus what is interesting is that they kind of wrap back around to metroid 2 during this plot where they established that uh the chozo tribes uh or the chozo tribe but it was like two sects like the the scientists that quiet robe is a part of and then kind of the warriors that ravenbeak was a part of they were the ones that put the metroids on sr388 which is the world in metroid 2 like they i i, I think it was always assumed they were native to that planet but they're like no 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 we put them there because we were going to blow it up because we realized they were a problem until Ravenbeak and his dudes were like, no, we can weaponize these things. But then it kind of it, it's almost, it was kind of funny even watching this at the time, like, oh, they had this perfect plan. And they, through sheer kind of chance, one of the dudes on Ravenbeak's side got infected by the X parasite and brought it back to their planet and unleashed this giant pandemic that wiped them all out. And so they. That he couldn't go do his plan and then while that was going on was when metroid 2 was taking place and samus wiped out all the metroids anyway <laughs> so it's just like almost like a weird just like just random circumstances like this one guy got sick and ruined it for all of us and then samus showed up and wiped them all out anyway <laughs> samus took care of it they were gonna like nuke the planet or something and then samus came in and and basically was the nuke yeah or at least the good the good chozos were gonna nuke it Ravenbeak was going to harvest them, but then I guess neither of them, or I guess I guess the good guys wound up getting what they want anyway. Samus came later and wiped them out, but yeah, Ravenbeak's plan was foiled. But then that that's why Samus was his fallback of like, oh, I heard she got some Metroid in her. Let's lure her here by hijacking their Federation robots, and 
she'll pro- they'll probably call her to go deal with this. It seems still seems like a long shot, but I guess it worked out. Like she she could have just never <laughs> decided to show up. But you know, maybe he watched some YouTube supercuts of like other M and was like, nah, she'll do anything for the Federation. <laughs> so <laughs> she'll 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 show up sooner or later. And what do you guys think of uh, Raven Beak as a villain? He seems like the most fleshed out villain which isn't saying much for metroid outs like you know ridley has a history but like it's more kind of on the side the lore of ridley like ridley doesn't talk or have any really exchanges with sam is outside of fighting yeah so ridley certainly looks more interesting i thought raven beak was kind of cool looking well yeah but you're up against a dragon right what's cooler looking than a dragon that's true a space pterodactyl is yeah cool. i guess <laughs> yeah, i didn't mean to insult like raven beak looked fine uh, he was fine I, yeah i kept waiting for the, like the what's the you know what's the reveal here what's he want and it really was just as straightforward as you know he just wanted to harvest these things and then it kind of went bad on him yeah he revealed his wings and then he tore them off at a certain point that's right did you guys like that fight i thought that fight was pretty cool it was really cool yeah it was hard but it was good yeah mm-hmm. i think yeah, i think like said jess it was like the good kind of hard I think Ravenbeak was really cool. Granted, I don't have the history with the series. And I was like very surprised. I kept expecting to see Ridley. Like I was like, oh, he's gotta be in this game, right? Cause like I like that's one of the things that, you know, I don't know. There are certain game series where it's like you don't know a ton about them, right? But like you know that there are these like staple characters, you know, with like with Legend of Zelda, you know you're gonna get Link Ganon and Zelda. Um, I was expecting, I'm like, oh, Metro Dread, 100% Ridley's going to pop up here. And like, I knew that Kraid was a reoccurring character too. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's like, you know, I know, I know this guy means something to this series. <laughs> so that was cool too. Yeah, I was surprised Ridley wasn't in it, but I really thought Ravenbeak was really cool. I liked his design a lot. I liked... I mean, I don't know the just the Chozo's design in general is really cool because I liked the, the little metal knights too. I thought that they were uh, well-designed. So... Yeah, he was a cool guy. You know, a lot of people online talking about those metal knights and complaining that you had to fight him multiple times. And I was I was on the edge. I think if there was one more fight against those guys, I would have been like they reused him too much. But they're just just the right amount of you have to fight those guys and the stakes keep escalating as you fight them. So, you know, the first time you fight him is like that guy's annoying. I don't want to fight him again. But I felt like I got better each time I fought him. And then you're at the point where you're fighting two at a time and taking them down. That felt pretty good. Yeah. Did you get symbiote vibes from those things where they would like take their second form and open their mouths and stuff? I kept thinking about Venom every time they did that. I thought it was cool. That'd be a cool combo to have her team up with. I don't know. Have a Marvel crossover where she (laughs) just just straight up teams up with Venom. Yeah. Why not? Just Samus and Star-Lord on the Pikmin planet. Yes. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> what what do you guys think of um because another big thing with this game story is that uh i think for the first time since other uh, m samus speaks not english she kind of speaks was it i guess chozo but i thought that was a like really well done because i know people are kind of touching now after other m about like should samus speak like is it a link thing where people think they want link to speak in a game and then you watch the 80s cartoon and go do you know <laughs> <laughs> i think this is i think this was like the best way you could do it personally i liked it i and i like that she's not speaking english i'm actually i don't have a problem with her speaking english or even speaking period she should be kind of a very quiet 
you know, almost a Clint Eastwood type character where she doesn't speak much, but when she does, it means something. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what they went for here. And the fact that she's speaking Chozo also kind of speaks to her, her heritage, which I appreciated. Yeah. I also liked how they incorporated dialogue with her. Also, I know there was, and not to like dive too much into it. There was an article that came out um, shortly after Metroid Dread did where someone was talking about how they wish that she spoke more and, and they wish that she was more enthusiastic and, and a little bit more um, enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. And like, it was, I forget who published it. I think it was Kotaku. I, I can't remember. Yay. These robots are after me. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> hey, Craig. And just like that. And I, I get that there's valid criticism, right? And the, the problem with like having, I feel like a lot of times female characters in order to be taken seriously have to have this amount of stoicism um, mm. in order to be like a, can I say the word badass? Sure. sure. We're not your parents. Okay. In order to be like a badass female <laughs> character, right? Like you have to be, um, you have to be stoic and you have to be like a romantic and, and just, and just like all of these things. And so I get that there are complaints with that because it kind of does limit the amount of female protagonists that you can have when all of them are kind of designed to be like this Katniss Everdeen, Lara Crofty, you know what I mean? Like they, they have to be like that certain archetype. Yeah. And I, I, but at the same time to me, I think that it works with Samus. And I think that we do need to still have characters like that, that exist, you know, in games that have female protagonists. And I think that. It's just it's, it's just really well done with her. And she it, it plays into her story and the way that she carries herself and the way that she uses body language. And like I said before, like just like the glimpses behind the visor and like how much she conveys even just through her eyebrows and, and her expressions. Like it, it's enough to where like, you know what she's going through and you can still sense emotion is there without her having to be explicit about it. And I really like that. I like that form of communication for her. Yeah, I think my thing with her is that it's it's not so much like. I don't think it robs her personality to not have her speak that much or and I think, like you said, I think she fits that kind of Clint Eastwood role well. But also, I, I like Sam as having a mystique to her. I've always liked that about her character. And like when you like anything, uh, mystique evaporates when you get too much of it or they speak too much um, like other M, it's just completely gone because she's doesn't shut up at all. Like even if the like dialogue is isn't always bad, like that game's very hit and miss with what they do with her. But I, I like having some of her personality and her thoughts up to my imagination and letting the body language uh, kind of carry me along. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's just more fun for me, especially because she because she wears a mask, basically. Um, maybe I have a thing for like masked characters and like the, the glimpses of like her visor that, you know, like when they started doing that in Metroid Prime. I remember that almost freaked me out sometimes. I was like, oh, crap, that's right. That, that's just her eye. <laughs> like she's looking at me. There's people <laughs> like, in there. Yeah, there's someone in there. I forgot. Um, I, I, I like that. I like those little weird, mysterious touches. And like, I don't want her to have to have a full on like five minute conversation with quiet robe about like, here's exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. Like all she said was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I swear I'll get it done or whatever she said in Chozo. Like that was like enough, and you like believe her, right? You're like, yeah, you know she can back her, she can back all that up at this point. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need to go into detail about it. So, yeah, it's just Samus to me should always have some mystique to her. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, I think I think even a, a better comparison would be 
uh, you know, the Mandalorian. Like that's basically the same type of character, right? Yeah. Doesn't speak much. I think we could use a few more scenes where Samus is trying to get something done. Like what's her day to day life? What does her day to day look like? And we talked about her fixing her ship or something like having a scene, 30 second scene where she's fixing that at some point in the game or, or dealing with something else mundane could actually be pretty cool. Yeah. And I would even like it if she if she ever had a more regular speaking role, like maybe she doesn't ever speak English, like maybe she just speaks Chozo or maybe she just speaks the language of whoever she's dealing with. Like I would I would believe it if she was like multilingual because she's so well traveled. Right. And it seems like something for her, her best interest as a bounty hunter, she would probably go out of her way to learn a bunch of alien languages. Like, I think that would be a cool touch for her character. That's like it, you kind of get the best of both worlds where she's speaking, but it's still kind of weird. because You don't hear her true voice necessarily. Right. Or you as the player don't fully understand her, which on some level continues to she is a distant character. So the fact that she's speaking and I don't understand her, I still need to read these words at the bottom of the screen it helps in a weird way, distance you from her in a way that is good, in a way that that works and holds up to her character. I, I like that. That's a good idea. We still need the man. Like, I think we said it before, live action Metroid series. That's just basically the Mandalorian. You just the baby Metroid she had is is baby Yoda. It's right there. It's right there, everybody. It's not even a ripoff because Nintendo technically did it first. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good that's a good overview of Metroid Dread. Any final thoughts, guys? It's a good game. Everybody should play it. I don't think we need to tell anybody that at this point. Selling really well. Uh, it'll be interesting to reflect on the series, you know, in five years or something on this mm-hmm. game specifically and see how it influences the series going forward, because I think this is good. We've got a new game and I I'm fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Right. I don't think it'll be a super long wait for the next one. I think Nintendo realizes like, oh, OK, there's still value in the series. You mean the next one after Prime 4 or is that the next one? <laughs> well, it could Prime 4 could very well be the next one that releases, but I f- I'm guessing they're going to do more 2D ones as well. I hope so. They've got, like I said, the end of this game, they've set themselves up both narratively and mechanically the things that Sam's can do now. That's a lot of untapped potential to not, you know, do something with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of places that they could go based off the end of that. And I'm really excited. They made a fan of me. I want to see where it goes. So fingers crossed. Other M2. <laughs> Let's do it. She just talks about being a Metroid now and thumbs downing herself. <laughs> All conversations. <laughs> I think that's going to do it. Yeah. I think it's going to do it for us. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Video Gameography. Before we go completely we should probably set up what we're doing next right marcus yeah you want me to announce it you want me to pull the bow on that yeah man do it so uh we are tackling another big sci-fi series and that is halo we're saying halo to halo am i right yeah that's right i'm glad i had you do that i could not have come up with such a perfect joke well, we are comedians, so that's right. Yeah, gotta live up to it. Um, you know, with Halo Infinite uh, coming out very soon, seemed like the perfect time to uh, revisit that series. And I, you know, we'll be starting with Halo One, of course. I think we'll be hitting all the mainline games, which would be one, two, three, four, right? ODST and Reach. Yeah, kind of like you know, we we skipped games like Metroid Pinball. We'll probably skip games like Halo Wars, but we might yeah. have some time to talk about them in there. 
But yeah, we'll hit all the major games in the series. Yeah, the MasterChef saga. And I guess those other games where he's not in it, but are still important. <laughs> yeah, those, those other maybe two of those games that he wasn't in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're doing Halo. So come back next week. We'll be kicking that off. Otherwise, you can keep leaving some reviews for us. Keep sending us emails, podcast.gameinformer.com. We appreciate those. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. You can follow me at Marcus Stewart seven. That's the number seven on Twitter. And Jessica, anything you want to tease? Anything? Just, just highlighting that I will be employed on Tuesday. Congrats <laughs> um, once again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it is, it is funny that this comes out right in the middle of that limbo. Um, but yeah, no, if you want to follow me, my Twitter handle is a wild Jessica and I share just about everything I do on that. So that's the best way to figure out what I'm writing and doing and you know, what's in the works well congrats on being gamefully employed we'll follow that closely i don't know that's oh, it. Yeah. We'll monitor that situation. <laughs> yeah i guess i don't know what else to say I'm <laughs> uh great that does it for us thanks everybody for following us on this crazy journey for metroid it's been fun and i look forward to checking out halo yeah does samus have a sign off good thumbs down <laughs> Probably don't want to thumbs down this episode. Yeah, we, we can't end that way. Thumbs up. Inverted Samus from Other M. If you turned her upside down, she's thumbs upping this podcast. That's what we're doing. That is how we are choosing to end this series. Oh, wait, we did talk about Hyperbeam. That Hyperbeam sequence that ruled. <laughs> <laughs>